James. So we mentioned last week, it is a book about living our faith out. It's our faith being evidenced by our actions. Someone has said it deals more with behaving as Christians than becoming Christians. And you remember last week in the introduction, we mentioned several different tests that we see throughout the book of James that enable us to see if our profession, if our life is matching our profession. A profession of faith really is not very profitable if it's not evidenced by a life that does not back that profession of faith. And we see the first test of what we had titled last week is perseverance in suffering. One test that God enables us to do, to go through, to show whether our faith is genuine or fake or false, or to strengthen our faith or to grow our faith is perseverance in suffering. That no one is exempt from it. So, as a matter of fact, some of the most godly people, whether it's in the scriptures or throughout history, have suffered the greatest. So let us not buy into modern thinking that if you become a Christian, everything will work out and be just fine. Because that is contrary to what scripture teaches. And in order to do that, to persevere in suffering, I think it would behoove us or would help us, and would this is speaking to you and to me alike, one thing that would help us in doing that is, as the Bible calls living by faith, not by sight, is looking beyond our circumstances. If we're not careful, we can allow the circumstances to cloud our vision to where we don't see God and see things as they really are. And we're to look beyond those circumstances to the God of those circumstances. It was just mentioned that God is sovereignly in control. God is over all that's going on. And that's what we have to remember. We have to go off what we know, not what we think or what we feel. Let's look here. James chapter 1. We'll read the first four verses. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to lean upon you, depend upon you, not just in the difficulties or in the suffering or in the trials of life, but even in the good times, may we not forget that we can do nothing without you. I am reminded of this even this very moment, that without you, we can do nothing. So I ask that you would use your word, for it is where the power lies, not in the presenter of it, but in the word itself. And the Holy Spirit empowering that, making enlighten our minds. I pray that you would use it for your glory and your honor. And to strengthen your people here this evening. That you would speak to us through your word this evening. 
Forgive me of my sins and shortcomings. In Jesus' name I pray. And amen. I came across something this week. It's very rare for me to even think like this. My mind doesn't work like that. I'm not wired like that. But it struck me. It's very applicable to the book of James. And it was a line from a musical. And this is probably the only line that I'll ever quote or even recognize from a musical. And maybe the only musical I could even say that I would even know by name. And it comes from My Fair Lady. And I think to some degree that the words that is spoken in the musical My Fair Lady is what we can somewhat see of God saying through James and not that he is speaking through this musical but through the word of God that the meaning being the same. And I will just read a few of those words to you. Elza says, words, words, words. I'm so sick of words. I get words all the day through. She says, sing me no song. Read me no rhyme. Don't waste my time. If you love me, show me. And I think that's pretty applicable for the whole book of James in a sense. That yes, we're to worship God in song. We are to, there's, it's nice to write about the things of the Lord. It's nice to talk about the things of the Lord. But what the Lord desires more than sacrifice, as the scripture would tell us, more than words, more than a song, more than anything else, if you love me, show me. Is that not what John says? John 15, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Hosea 6, 6 says this. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. 1 Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And in James, a few verses down here in chapter 1, verse 2, one of the, the key verses of this book, and especially of this chapter, he says, Be ye not hearers of the word only, but doers also. So I can almost hear James saying here, and the Lord saying through James, much to the same extent of what is said there in that musical. Sing me no song. Write me no rhyme. Don't waste my time. If you love me, show me. You know, we've heard the old adage, talk is cheap. And that is true for anyone, and especially for a relationship. It's one thing to say I love you to someone. It's a whole other thing to show that. And that is the overall gist of what James is dealing with. If you love me, then show me. 
And he tells us what to do and, and how to do it. So our doctrine must be displayed. It is not that our display of our actions is absent from doctrine. I'm reminded of the first 11 chapters of Romans. It's very doctrinal. Very doctrinal. It's primarily that's what it deals with. And then the last five chapters is what most would call very practical. But in order to know what to do, we know, in order to act right, we have to know what is right. But it does us no good to know what is right and not to act upon it. And that's primarily the theme of the book here. And he says, James, a servant of God under the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Remember, it wasn't James being the half-brother of Jesus is not how he defined himself here in the introduction. It was his, his natural relationship to Jesus that made him marvel. But it was the supernatural power of God opening his eyes to who he was and understanding who Jesus truly was that made him marvel. And no longer does he look at Jesus as his human brother, but notice how he describes him. He didn't say, hey, this is my brother in the flesh or this is my half-brother. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Kind of have things kind of compound there. That word Lord is Yahweh. It was not so much a term of devotion, but a term of identity, that He is my Lord. Pastor mentioned it this morning. I heard him make the statement, Lord and Savior. We hear the statement often, but there are many people that live as if they state that He is their Savior, but you know, you can't separate the two. If He is your Savior, you know what that means? As James is saying here, it's not a term of devotion. And when he says Lord, he says, hey, yes, he's my Savior, but he is my Lord. He's my master. He's my, a servant, a bond servant, a slave is what he is getting at there. And then he builds upon that, not just that he is in his identity of that, but he says Jesus or Joshua, meaning God is Savior or God is salvation. And then he uses the term Christ, meaning the anointed one or the Messiah. And then he, he talks about the term servant of ownership. Remember in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, Know ye not that you're not your own. You're bought with a price. What is that price? It's the blood of Jesus Christ that bought you and I. We no longer belong to ourselves. I have no right to do what I want to do anymore. Now, thank God I don't have some of the desires that I have. I have new desires. I still have the old man fighting against it, but there are new desires. But nonetheless, I have no right to cave or give to those fleshly desires because I don't belong to myself. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my master. He is your master if you're here and you're a believer. You have no rights. You've surrendered them to Him. But he uses the term servant, and we'll move on. I know we covered this just briefly last week, but it's something that I think is kind of lost in our culture. Remember the Lord said that he didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister. He didn't come to, to be served, but to serve. And if you and I are believers in Jesus Christ, that's the way James saw himself 
as a servant. Uh, it's the greatest title, really, that can be given to us. Josh Wilson, the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that in Luke 17, 10, you know, so likewise ye, when ye shall, when ye have done all that the things which I have commanded you, say we are unprofitable servants and have done that which was our duty to do so. That, that's what we are. We're servants. But that is a, a good title in a sense. But in our day and time, even in our business culture, nobody wants just to be seen as a common employee or a servant. Everybody wants a title. Manager, associate manager, CEO or boss, whatever it may be. But those that are truly leaders are servants. That's what the pastor is. If he is fulfilling his role and his duty, an associate pastor or a deacon, a deaconess, a servant, that's what they are. They're not special people. They're servants to the Lord and to you. That's what we are. And if we're too good to serve, then we have no business being in this position. And you and I as Christians are not too good to serve. I was impressed a month or so ago, some of you may remember Jordy's best friend, Talicia. She went to Reformation Bible College in Sanford, Florida, where R.C. Sproul started Ligonier Ministries and all that. But nonetheless, when she got there, I spoke to her pastor, him and I, our best, Jonathan, our best friends, and he said, Josh, I was so impressed. He said, we pulled into the parking lot. It's blazing hot here in Florida. It, and he said, I see the president of the university, the dean of the university, and the president of Ligonier Ministries show up out here in their blue jeans and t-shirt, pouring the sweat, and they're grabbing the suitcases, the pillows, the clothes out of the car. They're carrying them into the dorms. They're helping people move in. And when it was time to cook lunch, you know what they did? They threw on their aprons. They cooked the hamburger, grilled all the hamburgers and hot dogs, and they served all the people. And when it come time for their welcoming ceremony, they said, hey, we didn't do that to be seen. We didn't do that to be recognized. We did that because we believe leadership starts with servants, service. And if that's not what you're interested in, maybe this is not the place for you. And so I would say to you, with all due respect to myself alike, if we're not interested in serving other people, we need to make our calling and election sure because that's what Jesus did. And is it not our duty to be like Him? To serve one another. There's none of us beyond that. And I do thank the Lord there's many people here that are have a servant's heart. But that's how James introduced himself as a servant of the Lord. Then he closes verse 1 with greeting or rejoice. <laughs> to be a full of cheer, this word means. To be happy, to be well, to be glad. And you know, that doesn't sound that ironic or that difficult or that unique until you put it to the backdrop of the words that are about to follow. He says rejoice, be happy, be of full cheer. And then he goes on and tells us how we're to live in this present world. And we see here the first test of the trials of suffering. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. First he says, My brethren. 
It's a family relationship that he addresses because it was written to the scattered believers throughout there uh, abroad. And that relationship, just like his relationship with the Lord that he didn't put in the physical sense, was in that relationship that we have through faith in Christ. That's why we say brother such and such or sister such and such because we have the same father. And I would be honest with you, I have some family members here that I love greatly so this does not apply to them. But you know, I have some family members that I don't love as much as I love some people that are total strangers when it comes to blood relation to me that are brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no bond like the bond of faith. No family like the family of God. I mean that when I say that there's some of you that mean the world to me that I'm closer to than some people that are blood kin to me. But that's what he says, my brethren. And what he tells him here is not the natural reaction. But he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. To count it all joy, to deem it is another rendering of that word count. Or to consider, or to suppose, or to evaluate, or to think of it all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations. Don't exclude them. Don't say, try to put, that's our natural reaction and I'll be honest with you, it's, it's, it's mine. When, when difficult times come, who here could raise their hand and say, I just love going through tough times. I love suffering. I love trials. I love going. I'm looking at some of you and I know some stuck out in my mind just this very moment as I looked at you and knowing some of the trials that you faced. And nobody relishes that. Nobody says, hey, I'm so glad this is where I'm at. This is my lot in life right now. But what he's saying is to... Count it all joy or to consider the purpose in that. To think before you react. That it's God, to look at them as God testing us, to prove us, to strengthen us, to increase us, to de demonstrate the validity of our profession. And it's not enough just to Say, hey, you know, I have resolved to the will of God. How many people, and we're good at it. We're good at putting our Christian face on and saying, you know, when we're going through tough times and to say, oh, yeah, I know God is sovereign. I know God's in control. And yes, that is true. But that's not enough just to state those very things. You know what James is saying? Not just state that you're resolved to live in the will of God, but to do it and do it with joy. Many Christians do it with a frown upon their face. And I've been guilty of it. I think it was Paul Washer that said at the last G3 we were at, she, he said his wife looked at him and said, you reform boys, you drive me crazy. You talk about the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God, but I think that you only think God is sovereign in salvation because you walk around with a frown on your face and like somebody shuts your dog all the time. And that's the way we act, isn't it? So even now today, of, you look at the state of our culture, our country, our churches, the state of Christianity, the state of our world. And it's not something that we would relish in or be happy in, in the sense, but we can take 
comfort in it and we can count it all joy knowing that God is in control and He has a purpose behind that. That He's not just doing that at the whim of a hat, that there is a purpose for all that. So we've not truly resolved to God's will until we can embrace it with joy. Regard it as a thing that we rejoice in, not as a punishment. But he says, my brother, count it all joy, not if, but when. <laughs> Go ahead and write it down. You know, which I'm preaching to the choir, and I say that because many of you are my senior, you have went through more trials than I have, and so I say that with but you know that. It's not, well, if you go through the troubles or trials, but when. And now remember the context of when this was written. What we consider trials and what they consider trials are probably two different things. Many of them were playing for their very life. But he says, when, not if. And so may we not be lulled to sleep in the modern day culture of thinking that we're exempt from the trials. Everyone has trials, troubles, and tribulations. And we're to consider it all joy. Someone has said that the difference in joy and happiness, happiness within the root word is happen. It's based upon what happens or circumstances. And joy is not dependent upon what happens. And the only way we can have true joy is where? When our joy is found in the Lord. Because circumstances will come. Trials will come. That's why it's important that we find our joy in the Lord, not in things of this world. Because if we find our joy in anything outside of Jesus Christ, it's unstable. I like the illustration somebody gave one time in illustrating joy and happiness. They illustrated happiness as a thermometer. And what does a thermometer do? It records the temperature. It tells what, what the circumstances are. It's such and such degrees. Or sadly enough, it's going to soon be saying it's really, really cool, really cold. But the thermostat back there on the wall, no matter how cold it gets, no matter how hot it gets, pastor sets that with his phone to a certain temperature, and what does it do? It doesn't keep it exactly at that temperature, but it regulates the temperature between here and here. And that's what our joy in the Lord will do. It doesn't keep us from going through difficult times. It doesn't keep us from being sad. It doesn't keep us from being discouraged from time to time. But it, it keeps us balanced. It keeps us where we should be. But he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. To trials, trouble. The word there meaning something that breaks the pattern of peace. The pattern of comfort or joy or happiness. Trials come in all shapes and sizes. But they're what put us to the test. It puts it to the proof. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The same word rendered here, that verb fall, is the same word that you're familiar with in Luke chapter 10 when the man walking there was attacked by those thieves. He wasn't looking for the thieves. He wasn't looking to be beaten. He just came upon that situation. It happened upon him. And it's the same word 
that maybe a passage we're more familiar with, Acts 27, 41. Remember when they, Paul had told the men, the mariners, that they shouldn't, shouldn't go, that he perceived that they would run into trouble and they wouldn't listen, and yet they went on. And it says in verse 41 that they fell into, they fell into the water. And so the idea is, here the ship's going about, and all of a sudden, boom, it hits trouble. And he says, don't be caught off guard when you're going along in life and all of a sudden you get blindsided, if you will. It's difficult to handle something when we expect it. It's even more difficult when we don't expect it. So I'm not trying to be negative tonight and be a Debbie Downer, if you will, but I'm trying to tell you and remind myself that you know what? In this world, you shall have tribulations. But take great joy, great comfort. I have overcome the world. We're going to go through troubles and trials. So don't be surprised when they come. But consider it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. It's a lot about not the absence of trouble, but the attitude in the trouble. Christians struggle. So how do we do this? Just count it all joy. Like I said, that's kind of contrary to our nature. How, how do we count it all joy? You're telling me what to do, but how do I do that? I'm going through tough times. I just seen where the representative, one of our representatives there in Madison County, a younger man about my age, just lost his four-day-old baby. How do you go through that and consider it all joy? Well, it has to come down to not what you think. It has to come down not to what your feelings are, but what you know. That's what he says. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse sin, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Our feelings must be brought into subjection by our knowledge, not the other way around. If we allow our knowledge to be subservient to our feelings, we're heaping upon ourselves great trouble. That word knowing is the root word being gnosko, or to know, and that is to know absolutely, to know experientially, to know by having experienced it. And he says here, count it all joy when you fall into diverse, knowing this. By knowing, by what you know. But oftentimes, we live our lives not so much by what we know, by what we feel, or what appears to be. We've experienced things in life that go contrary to the Word of God. And yet, if we're not careful, I think it was Pastor saying in the Psalms just the, uh, either last Wednesday or the Wednesday before about speaking to ourselves, allowing the Word of God to speak to us more than we allow ourselves to speak to ourselves. Because if we don't do that, we'll allow ourselves to speak and we'll get ourselves in a whole heap of trouble. We have to rely upon what we know, not what we feel or what seems to be, but what has God said? What has God done? we live our lives 
my feelings. You all know the trouble we would be in. Just on the way here this evening, the girls took a nap. And Rebecca woke them up to come get ready to come to children's choir. And Sophie said, I didn't want to get out of bed. What would have happened if we'd have let her just follow what she felt like? I don't feel like getting out of bed. I don't feel I how many of us have said it? You can put whatever you want in this that fits. I know I should, but I don't feel like it. And whatever that is, whether I know I should take a shower. But I don't feel like it. Well, I'm glad you did what you knew to do, not what you felt like doing. If we, we laugh, but think about it. Those things, we may do what we know to be right, but oftentimes in life, we allow our feelings to govern our lives more than the commandments of God. We have to base these situations off what we know. And what do we know? Romans 8, 28, all things, not the good things, but even the difficult thing, all things work together for good to them are the called for according to his purpose. For him. He says knowing. And then he says knowing this. So we must count it all joy when we fall into different tests. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That the trying of your faith. Faith by itself does not develop patience or endurance. But faith that's tested develops patience and endurance. A faith that is not tested cannot be proven to be genuine or fake. It must be tested to see if it is genuine. That word there, the trying of your faith that worketh patience, that statement having the meaning of proving or to see its trustedness, trying it, testing it, to see if it is what it says it is. But he says your faith, and I don't want to keep alluding to it, but I Remember the statement, I don't remember when, and I think it was here just recently, and maybe even today, so forgive me. But I think it was pastor that said, your faith is only as good as the object it's in. That's why I really don't take much value when I see TV and you see people. I'm glad to see people state, talk about their faith, if you will, but people say, my faith got me through it. But I don't put a lot of value in that because faith in what? Everybody has faith. But faith is only as good as the object. And that's what separates Christianity from everything else. Is the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. So the root of, of all this, it would do us no good to go through all these tests and try to pass them, try to, to do the right things if we don't have faith in Jesus Christ. So the question would be here, are you in the faith? Or the common terms that we would use, are you saved? Do you truly know the Lord? Not do you know about Him. I know who's here. It's a Sunday night crowd. But do you know Jesus Christ experientially and personally? Have you came to Jesus Christ? 
The song that we sing, On Christ the solid rock I stand, for all other ground is sinking sand. And you know what? That's what James is saying. When you go through some of these struggles, these trials, these difficulties in life, the only foundation, the only thing that will give us any substance is our faith in Jesus Christ that will enable us to stand. But I have to move on. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Worketh or performs or works out, accomplishes patience. So God's purpose in this is not to destroy you. It's not even to punish you. Sometimes we may feel as if, but I use the word feel, we may feel like God is punishing us for us, us when we go through a difficult situation. And it could be that God is just trying to test us to help us grow, to strengthen us, to prove us, or to prove to someone else. You remember Job? It wasn't for punishment, even though his friends tried to accuse him of that. But God said, Have thou, has thou considered my servant Job? He was going to use Job as an example, not just for them, but for you and I. And God has a purpose in these trials, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, an endurance, oh, being able to wait patiently, a continuance to stay or to undergo, as someone has said, maybe staying power. And the Christian life is not a sprint, but a marathon. I have recently gotten back into going to the gym. Enjoy doing that. I've talked to Brother Jeff some about that. I know he's been going, and he could probably tell you more about this than I could, but do you know what needs to happen if we want to build muscle? It's kind of Contrary to what you would think, that you don't just build on top of what you, what you have to do to build muscle is to break down that muscle. You have to put that muscle under stress. And the more you stress it, the more it grows. And you know, that's the way it is with our faith. That's what God is saying through James to you and I here this evening. Don't lose hope in the midst of troubles and trials and difficulties because although God is stressing you in those areas... He is going to use that to grow you. The greater the stress, the greater the growth. The more you push yourself in exercising physically, the more your body's going to profit from that. The more you stress, the more we're stressed in our faith. The good news is, yes, it's difficult, it's tough, it's actually impossible outside of it. But the good news is that God has a purpose in it, and God is the one that's going to give us the endurance to be able to endure it. And so don't lose heart in that. So the trials, and I know this comes easy when we're not going through difficulty, and I don't know where you're at in life, so I don't want to make light of anybody's situation here. I'm not trying to do that. But the point is that we should see our trials as an opportunity to grow. Paul, think about that. Is that not what he said? I have learned whatsoever state I'm in therewith to be content. He knew how to abound. He knew how to, to not have things. But he learned. How did he do that? Through going through those struggles, those trials. And Paul may be one of the greatest examples that we could go to I can't, 
I can tell you, I would have seen things differently. Some of the things he went through, I would have been, woe is me. Why is this going on? Or why does there always have to be some type of difficulty? Paul, a man of God seeking to give his life for the Lord, to serve the Lord, and he went through trouble and trial after one after another. Instead of saying, God, I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to do all this. Why is this happening? What he did in every difficulty, he found an opportunity. We find, op- we find difficulties in every opportunity. He's seen those opportunities. So may we see our trials not in the negative context, but to look at them with joy to say, hey, God has a purpose in this. God's going to use this for His glory. and His." Own. Sometimes we may understand that. He may reveal that to us. Sometimes He may not. But nonetheless, that's what James is. It's a book of faith, is it not? That we, it's not about understanding it or seeing it. But our faith is seen best in the difficult times. Someone has said, the darker the night, the brighter the light. You and I have an opportunity. You know, we look at it, like I said, look, we think about it, well, today and time we live in is probably, in a Christian perspective, the worst time in American history. But do you know the positive side of that is? The real Christians have an opportunity to show forth the love of God and who Christ is in a greater way than maybe people did in the past. We can see, oftentimes we can see God greater in the trials and the difficulties than we can the good times. The problem for myself, and I think if you're honest, you would say the problem is oftentimes we're nearsighted. We don't want to live by faith. <laughs> I'll do it if I, understand, if I know the outcome. We're, we see the here and now. We don't look beyond that. We don't look up. We look out and around, down, everywhere but up. But you know, through the darkness of trials, the glory of God is seen in a way that is not seen in the good times. Illustrating that, are the sun or the stars out during the daytime? They are. We can't see them. But at nighttime, you have no problem going outside and seeing the stars. The point being, in the dark, you can see the things that are far off. Oftentimes in the time, the dark times of our lives is when our faith is shown the most. I look back, there's some people I look to in the difficulties of their life, and I've seen them walking with the Lord to a greater capacity in those times than I did when everything was going well. I have seen some ladies that I marvel at. One of them is what I would call a friend. Louise knows who I'm talking about. Juanita, I think, is 101. I went to church with her in Richmond. And the thing about Juanita was there was always a smile on her face and a joy to her no matter what. I remember going to her son's funeral, two of them as a matter of fact, and yet, no, she wasn't happy that she was burying her son. But she had a joy that even the death of her children couldn't take. We're to live by sight, or by faith, not by sight. Live by faith, not by circumstances. The trials in and of themselves are not the source of joy. Oftentimes, that, you know, think about that. Uh, we don't think right, but <clears throat> we don't see right because we don't think right. 
Proper perspective leads to proper response or proper thinking to proper behavior. Joy and trials don't seem to go together, but it's about perspective. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, or complete, or mature work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We must practice in the difficult times what we know in principle in the good times. We must put to work in the dark the things that we've learned in the light, if you will. That's why it's important when things are going well to be in the Word of God, to be at church, to be walking with the Lord, that we can act as we should. But it's about proper perspective, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. It's not the trials themselves. That would almost be a just a real negative way to look at things. To say, "Well, I just, I just, so glad this this tough time in and of itself is on me." But the purpose of that difficult time is what we're to joy in. We need to look at it. From God's point of view, not our point of view. I remember my grandmother, my dad's mom, she would crochet, she would knit, she would do a lot of different things. But oftentimes I would sit and watch her weave that needle in and out of that, of that yarn. And when you would look at the backside of what was being done, if you would turn it reversed, it, it looked like just a bunch of different colors, almost like a little kid's painting or some little child had done it. But when you would flip it over and look at it from the top, there was wonderful pictures in that. And that's what we have to do. We have to continue to look from a heavenly perspective, looking upward and understanding that everything that happens is for our good and for His glory. It may not seem like it. It may not feel like it. But we have to trust that Jesus Christ has a purpose in that. But let patience have our perfect work that you may be perfect, entire, wanting nothing. Looking beyond the circumstances. He deals with that. Whether you're rich, there's a warning to the rich, there's a warning to the poor. It doesn't matter about your circumstances. You could enter in sickness and health. You could enter in all these different variables. None of that matters. We have to look beyond our circumstances Count it all joy to rejoice when we go through those difficult trials. As one of the authors of Scripture has said, they marveled that he would count them worthy to suffer on his behalf. I'll leave you with one last little illustration. A, year, a couple years ago when the Christians were being persecuted in Afghanistan 
Paul Washer and some of the other Christians were trying to get some of them out of there. And he hadn't heard from one particular missionary over there. And he finally got a call from his dad. And he asked him, he said, is your son safe? Or is there something we can do to help you, help him get, help you get him home, get him out of there? And he said, the man started to weep. And he said, Paul, I've told him that we would do what we needed to get him home. But he said that he believed it was God's will for him. He wasn't criticizing the others for getting out. But that God had called him to be there and he was going to stay whether he lived or whether he died. And the man started to weep and said, I marvel that God is going to allow me to have a son, possibly, to die for him. He said, I read Hebrews 11. I read through scripture and see these people. And God has counted my son worthy of possibly of that same fate. Rather than saying, oh no, I'm going to lose my child. Now he wasn't rejoicing in the fact that his son may die. But he was amazed that God would take him, a nobody, and allow him to be a light in the midst of the darkness. May we consider it all joy when we go through different, diverse temptations, trials. Because it's to build patience, endurance, that we can get through this life. And God will give us the endurance pastor.